Welcome to Healthcare Happenings, a One Digital Employer Advisory Podcast. It's no secret that healthcare is complicated, and to prepare for the road ahead, business leaders need transparency and access to information in order to develop the best health benefit strategy. Our team of compliance leaders are here to shed light on the latest developments on the Hill and share their collective vision for ways to improve the healthcare experience. Welcome back. Um, our regulars are here today. I'm Annette Bechtold. Um, I'm uh, here with my great friends to talk to you about uh, our next topic. So with me, Samantha Malover, Scott Lamb, Ron Bagassi. We are here to talk about mental health parity today. So welcome back, you guys. An exciting topic today, right? <laughs> always complying. Oh, always. always. <laughs> yep. I was hoping you were here with me. Okay, good. All right. So, um, so mental health parity, it's something we've had for a long time. It's been a requirement on plans. There were a lot of rules about it. So basically mental health parity is this, the, that the treatment or the requirements under the plan um, can't be more onerous for mental health treatment or substance use treatment than they are for any other medical or surgical type treatment. So in other words, you know, you can't have higher co-pays, you can't have um, bigger deductibles, you can't have unique or, or tougher deductibles or out-of-pocket costs or hoops, basically, that you have to jump through that are tougher than if you were having any other medical treatment. So we have stuff that's been in place, but now we've got some new rules. And I think what's been most surprising to me is that the new rules I think are really going to be tough to follow and they're automatically all of a sudden just they're effective now. And and I think it's caught everybody by surprise. So I kind of want to open up to you and find out from you guys, what do you think about, first of all, what are the new uh, rules that uh, kind of have expanded? I mean, everybody's on the planes have gotten used to what there is today, but what's the new stuff? So, yeah, so the new thing is recently, so last December, if you guys can think back to then, um, the Consolidated Appropriations Act um, basically included this provision in there um, requiring health plans and insurers that impose non-quantitative treatment limitations. So these are these NQTLs or basically these treatment limitations that are not expressed numerically. um, That are on mental health or substance use disorder benefits those uh, entities need to perform and document this comparative analysis on those NQTLs. Um, And then beginning uh, in February of 2021, so just a couple weeks back, um, this information needs to be made available to a state or federal agency if they request it. Okay, so I'm thinking about this as a plan. Like, I'm a plan. I don't even, first of all, if I'm fully insured, I don't even write my plan. So what is, what is this? What does this mean to me? What am I supposed to be doing with this? Well, I think two things. First of all, they're essentially saying for the things that aren't quantitative, like number of scripts, things like that, then you have to have comparable benefits. So you have to uh, present if you get audited and they're going to do 50 random audits. You have to present documentation that demonstrate the criteria you use to establish these NQTLs. And so to do that, what Sam just said, it's very complicated. So I don't think that a group's going to be able to do that. So we have to rely on the carrier to do it. So 
we've got to talk about how we prepare to be able to be audited. What are the chances of being audited and, and how you would go about protecting yourself? Yeah, I think the big thing, oh, yeah, so I don't think the bill actually defined what comparative analysis is. So, yeah, uh, well, and if we go back, I think there were some proposed rules last year. And I remember talking to somebody at the DOL. I talked to a DOL auditor and they had just proposed these new rules or they were proposed at the time about, hey, your plans can't be tougher on things you can't quantify, right? So like you said, number of prescriptions. Um, and I even asked her specifically, well, what about network adequacy is, is in there too? So does your plan offer enough in-network options, right? And in-network doctors, in-network facilities for this stuff. And I asked her, I said, so how are you guys auditing? Like she was, she's a DOL auditor. And she said, you know what? We, we don't know how to do that. And we haven't gotten any information. So that was last year. So now fast forward, now all of a sudden they're going to do random audits of plans. Is that right? Right. Up to 50 a year, a minimum of 50. And if someone so you, in your organization, who, do you gonna audit? who are they going to audit? Well, they'll do it randomly. And or if they get a complaint and then they have to present their findings to uh, legislature at the end of the year. All right. So let's let's talk about that for our for our employers. What's the likelihood that, you know, obviously if the 50 random, I mean, that's like I mean, I think the the last count was there's what, six million welfare benefit, health and welfare benefit plans in the country between five and a half and six million. Yeah. So, so the likelihood on the random audit is like you just had bad luck or whatever, right? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's not the complaint thing. Let's hone in on the complaint thing. What's the likelihood of complaints? Where the heck do those come from for these employers and these plans? Now, generally, what you're going to see is individuals that disagree. In other words, they, they, there's a particular treatment modality that is either limited under uh, the mental health parity relative to what they think it is under a surgical. And so they're likely to then complain about the fact that we need more of these particular visits, benefits, things like that. So it doesn't take any scientific finding. It just takes sort of a sense that they're not there and they could complain about that organization. I think in terms of concern, the larger the group, the more likely they are to be a target uh, it, it, the word random often seemed to me to uh, coincide with size. Okay. Yeah. Ron, so here's, here's, here's a question I have. And, you know, when I think about if I was, if I was working with one of my clients, uh, helping them navigate a new requirement that is very complicated and based on the Nets conversation, the regulators are even confused regarding how they're going to specifically enforce this or what they're looking for from the context of a comparative analysis. Practically speaking, in a perfect world, understanding that it's not easy to get information from insurance carriers. It's not easy to get them to uh, put things in writing regarding certifying their compliance um, or, or TPAs for that matter, not just uh, uh, insurance carriers, but also the TPAs are reluctant to do so. In a perfect world, what would you want to see? And then in the practical world, right. what are the limitations? That, you know, to, to, What are the potential limitations in achieving what you'd want to achieve? in a perfect world. Let's start in order of preference. Uh, First of all, you would would want the documentation 
on site in the event you have 30 days to respond in the event that you are audited then you would like to have that documentation there and you would have certainty that you would have documentation consistent with the requirements of this this provision now with that said i'll have to i'll have to say that uh i'll have to say that the requirements also include considerations in terms of parity that were rejected. There's a concern there. I would make sure with your TPA or your carrier, I would ask that question. Do you have that kind of documentation? Secondly, absent that, then I would like some agreement from the carrier that they will supply the necessary documentation in the context that I just described. What we don't know is how cooperative the carriers will be. I mean, we all know that when we request that they make some factual statement of what their position is, it has to go through attorneys and so forth. So I think you just have to work through with the carriers to get what you can get, but make sure if I'm a large group and I'm self-insured, hopefully you'll be important enough to the carrier that they'll provide that documentation prospectively so you'll have it there and you can satisfy yourself that you have the right documentation. So, Ron, it would almost seem like it would even be relevant to document that, it, let's say I'm a small business that has a fully insured health plan and I'm relying on the carrier to build a plan that is complying with relative with the relevant guidelines around mental health parity, that even outreach to a carrier where they're not providing you the information or they, they refuse to provide you the information for whatever reason it might be, that's worth documenting, right? I mean, yeah. that would be worth, that would be worth documenting, documenting that the outreach was made and we were not even able to obtain this from the, from the party that we contract with uh, in, in full faith that they're complying with relative state yeah. and federal laws. But which again, sort of raises a question about the intent of this bill to begin with. You would think it would be directed at carriers from a compliance standpoint, because they're the ones that know how to do this. They have the information. The uh, plan sponsor is not in a position to really be able to judge this stuff and provide all the clinical data. So you're exactly right. I put everything I could documenting that I've made a, a, a diligent effort to mm-hmm. acquire this. Yeah, I I was just going to say that, Ron. I think it's like this good faith effort, and in fact, I think there's some uh, there's some specific language even in there about employers should be making a good faith effort, right? So, um, and, and I think that's true everywhere. It doesn't in mental health parity or whatever the next regulation is or whatever the the next uh, piece is, you know documenting your thought process that you're aware of it here are things that you've done to look at um you've had conversations or you've tried to have conversations i mean all of that stuff i think scott to your point is right yeah i think that's an excellent point uh just beyond mental health parity every plan sponsor has an obligation to at least make an effort to ensure that the plan adjudication is consistent with the plan documents yeah, so, uh, so I think takeaway then for this session is just understanding that this, this provision exists. You've got to make sure that you don't make people jump through more hoops uh, for getting their, you know, under their under the plan for getting treated for mental use, mental, um, mental health or substance use, that they don't have to do 
anything tougher and that you need to make sure you're have, starting to have some conversations and document those about uh, centered around that fact specifically. And I think that's where we leave it for folks at this point until we have any more guidance, which I think is supposed to happen much later um, that they'll be working on that. And I think that we'll see some things come out, you know, once yeah, I think, had such to look at these. I was going to say, I think that even in the act, it does say to those agencies, such as the DOL, HHS, IRS, to issue additional guidance and regulations that can provide much more information. Because, um, uh, you know, what we get from the bill is usually just a skeleton and we need those regulators or those agencies to kind of flesh it out for us. So, yeah, so thanks. Yeah, I think that's I, I good. Think last, one last, last clarification uh, that's important and, and harks back to this idea of the complexity of trying to get this information from the carrier. Uh, be aware that it does apply regardless of whether you're uh, still covered by a previous carrier. So if the audit period is in an air, is in a period where you were a previous carrier and you've left, now you have to get the cooperation of the previous carrier. Well, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So it doesn't mean only for this plan today. Now they're yeah. not gonna probably go retro for years or anything like that, but if you happen to switch carriers or switch right. plans now, make sure that both plans are covered. Great point. Thanks you guys. This was a really get, uh, great piece. Um, I think it's something that not a lot of people know, but definitely something to be aware of. And in future sessions, we'll bring you more as more is revealed to us. And thank you all for tuning in. Staying on top of compliance today can be the source of great concern and frustration. Our dedicated team of attorneys and experts look around the corner on your behalf and deliver the tools, education, and resources needed to help you plan for the future and protect your employees and business every day. You can access additional resources, employer advisory sessions, and podcasts on our website, onedigital.com. Stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time.